0: Welcome to the Change Makers Podcast, produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. This show shares personal stories and insight from those who are giving back and making a difference so we can learn and do the same. We cover life lessons, business advice, passion, and purpose. Now here's our host, the CEO of City Current, Jeremy Park.
1: Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, produced by City Current, powered by Lipscomb Pitts Insurance and Higginbotham. I'm your host, Jeremy Park. We get to dive into the world of marathons and physical fitness. We are joined by Heidi Swartz. She's the executive director of the Cowtown Marathon in Fort Worth, Texas. She's a founder of CAF, which is the Children's Activities for Life and Fitness nonprofit. She's also been awarded the Great Women of Texas Award. So she's got a lot on her resume. May. She's a speaker herself, too. We're going to dive into this world. So let's start out. Heidi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, you are a changemaker. So let's talk a lot about just your past. And then we'll talk about obviously what you're doing right now. And then we'll talk about the future as well. But for starters, give us a little bit of just where you grew up. Let's let's dive into your childhood. Well, I
2: grew up in Montana, up in West Glacier area in Kalispell, Montana. if anybody knows where that is. But it's real close to the Canadian border up in
1: beautiful country. So what was it like on your end? Was it a lot of outdoors, a lot of hiking? What What are some of the fun yeah. memories?
2: All of the above, a lot of sailing. We did a lot of sailing. We did a lot of racing with the sailboats, snow skiing, lots of hiking up in West Glacier Um Tennis, golf, I mean, you know, everything has its seasons, especially in Montana, so we have a small window for a few of those, but we learned how to golf with tennis balls in the winter, because you can't golf in the most of the year, because it's always full of snow, so, you know, we found our ways, but sailing and skiing were the two biggest
1: sports. Any brothers or sisters?
2: I have two sisters and a brother. Uh, We all grew up there. Now my brother's passed away. I've got now I've got one sister living in California and one in Washington, D.C., but we definitely had a full childhood of exploring and hiking. And um, it's the best childhood anybody could have is when you get to be out there in nature and really explore our world.
1: What's a fond memory for you and your family?
2: Sailing is one of them, but I think the other... One that always brings us back together is Christmas. We have major traditions that we follow every year. And we all, even if we're not together, we all do the same traditions every year. So it's just pretty cool. It's all our holidays are very, very steeped in tradition and history. And everybody knows our Christmases
1: because they're so special. Give me one example of a, of a tradition on your end for the family for Christmas.
2: And our Christmas on Christmas Eve, nobody's allowed to get up from the table. No matter the age of the person, you could be two years old. You could be 90 years old, but nobody can get up from the table until everybody at the table has set a toast Ah. and we could have a table of 35 people. So you can imagine our dinner lasts a long time because nobody gets up until that all those toasts are given. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's that I like that, uh, especially for the, the kids, like to be able to see like, okay, this is like, you know, this is how you give a toast, a little bit of public speaking and building some confidence there, but that becomes a really cool tradition. I like that. Yeah, very much. So what is uh, something that your parents taught you that kind of stays with you? So what's something that you learned as a child that you still kind of carry with you today?
2: I think it's to be civic minded and to volunteer. I mean, they really, you know, promoted that in our life that it, you know, start with your community and help your community um, and, and be a, be a part of your, your community and your local government and uh, be involved and just give back. It's important to always give back.
1: What do you remember from your parents in terms of their involvement in the community? What, what's, what's some of the things that they were passionate about?
2: Both of my parents were passionate um, about art, uh, making sure that art was in the in the in the schools, either, you know, fine art and musical theater, choir. Those were important. And then my dad's very passionate when it came to uh, the logging industry, being up in Montana and the environment and taking care of our environment.
1: Yeah, I think the outdoors is definitely a theme that will run through this for sure, but how did you get involved in physical fitness and marathons and training? How did that world collide?
2: You know, growing up, I was not a runner at all. I'm a marathoner now, but back then I would never, ever have said I'd ever be a marathoner. I was involved in ice skating and gymnastics and skiing, but Running was no way was I ever going to do that. And I didn't get involved into the running until my son was about 10 years old and his school wanted to bring a team to the Cowtown prior to me working for the Cowtown Marathon Organization. But every child that came had to have a parent go with them and had to run. And so I was thrown into running out of my son begging to run a 10K and came through the finish line and thought this was the coolest thing in the world. And it's ever since then,
1: I'm a runner. So what brought you to Fort Worth, Texas originally?
2: My parents divorced, my mom remarried. And so we came here when I was in high school. So still lived half the time in Montana and half the time in Texas. So I've been in Texas a long time, but still have roots in Montana.
1: What was uh, the culture shift in terms of you know, kind of in both places, but moving to Fort Worth and getting acclimated, what was that like? Huge culture
2: shift because in Montana, back in when we moved here, I mean, a four lane road in Texas is a massive highway in Montana. You don't have four lane roads. And so there's a street that was a couple blocks from our house that was, you know, two lanes going one way, two lanes going the other way. We're thinking it's an interstate, but it's not. It's just a a street in the neighborhood. Um, So that was huge. I also did not know what the word y'all meant. I did not know people were talking to me when they said y'all. And then our first year here was um, the hottest year on record for Texas. And my mom packed us up and we went back to Montana for the entire summer because we just we couldn't handle the heat. It was just so, so not what we were used to. So.
1: (laughs) I can see, you know, between the, uh, especially now the roads and the freeways and everything. I mean, it, it's, you know, vastly different even now. And then obviously the heat and the food and everything else too. There a little, a little bit of difference between Texas and Montana in general.
0: Oh, most um, definitely.
1: What brought you to getting involved in terms of being the executive director of the Cowtown Marathon? Share the story of getting involved.
2: Well, like I said, I was forced into running the 10k when my son was in fourth grade. And at the time I was working uh, for a a local YMCA here as their business director. And uh, uh, Trey and I ran that 10k that first year after training with the school and coming through the finish line. And it was just such a cool experience to come through that finish line. I'm like, oh, I want to go to work for them. I want to put on a race like this. This was so much fun. And a year later, I saw an ad in the newspaper where they were hiring an assistant to the executive director for the Cowtown. And I turned in my resume and I was hired. It was all because of my son's school that I even knew about it.
1: So you've been responsible for tremendous growth with the Cowtown Marathon Let's start though for some context. How do you describe the Cowtown Marathon? So for those who aren't familiar, especially for those who are outside the area, how do you describe the Cowtown Marathon?
2: We always describe the Cowtown as um, one of the largest multi-events in the state of Texas, meaning that we offer different distances and we're a two-day event. So we have races on Saturday, races on Sunday. And we are, like I said, one of the largest races in the state. We are the largest in North Texas. So we're larger than Dallas. We're larger than the Austin Marathon, San Antonio Marathon, Houston Marathon. We kind of go back and forth. Some years they're bigger than us and some years we're bigger. So some years we're the largest in the state. Um, We're really proud of that because when I took over as director, we were the smallest. And so to be able to say now we've grown this much in, you know, in a small amount of time is just, it just makes myself and our whole board just really proud of the job we've done.
1: I don't think people realize how much work behind the scenes goes into producing an event, especially a two-day event. So let's go ahead and jump into your world. Walk us through the business side of planning the Cowtown.
2: You're right. Everybody asks me what I'm doing all year. What, what do I have to do all year long? And they have no clue that it does. It takes 12 months to prepare for, for our race. So we, we average between 26 to 28,000 runners. It's a lot of runners we're bringing into uh, Fort Worth. And we start working on it about two weeks after our race takes place. So our race is the last weekend of February every year. And then we start planning the second week of March for the following year from, you know, writing the budget, reconciling the books from the previous year and writing the budget, and then uh, getting sponsors. Sponsors are a huge, important part of our organization. And then our charity with our CAF program that's something that happens year round, working with the local schools, working with community centers to make sure that kids are active. Not only do we have kids come and run our event, but we do a summer program for kids. We visit schools. Um, We teach the kiddos how to do proper running technique throughout the year so that they're ready for Cowtown in February. So there's so many things that go into it. Normally in a non-COVID year, I purchase the shirts, for example, for our race in June or July. So that they can get them made because we're not just giving each runner one shirt, but we're giving, some of our runners are getting two shirts. Some of our runners are getting three shirts. So we're printing 80,000 shirts and all sorts of different designs and colors. So we have to make all of those decisions in the summer and get all test prints done and make sure that, you know, are we boat shipping? And if we're boat shipping from overseas, are we going to get them in time? So this year, because of covid we're going to airship everything just because we can't rely on things. So, you know, things happen way in the beginning of the, the year for the for the next year's event.
1: Yeah, and I'm even thinking between the routes, the police, the drinks and making sure that you have the food and the, you know, all the, the beverages. The, there's so much that goes into it from a minutia. How do you and your team, do you build out spreadsheets? Like what's your strategy in terms of making sure that all the the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed?
2: Yeah, I have a spreadsheet. Um, It's a timeline and it just kind of marks off every month what we have to get done each month. I mean, I've been here for I've been with Cowtown now 25 years. I haven't been the director 25 years. But it's kind of like engraved in my head now, so I don't even have to look at the spreadsheet. I just know, oh, it's this month. We need to knock all these things out. Uh, We're currently working on our routes. And we know that in our city, probably like most cities right now, there's a lot of street construction, which there always is street construction. And some of ours is major, so we found out just this week that we need to redesign our marathon course to some extent because a lot of the roads that we utilize are not going to be passable in February. Um, so we are now redesigning routes and reaching out to our committee that helps us with that to get everybody's input. There's tons of things. That's just one of them. And then working with our nonprofit organizations, it's not not only do we have our own CAF program, our own nonprofit, but we also work with other organizations to help promote them.
1: I know that with events, you're you're basically controlling chaos. It's like you can control the <laughs> things that you can control. And then there's a bunch of stuff that at any point in time could happen. And it's like, you're just going to do the best you can to figure it out. And, you know, after a while, to your point, you gain so much experience that you've You've kind of dealt with things before or similar. So it's like, you know how to handle it. How do you go about controlling the chaos, you know, understanding that obviously you can control what you can control, but kind of what's your mindset when it comes to constantly having to pivot, adjust, manage through it and and not let that get the best of you, but to be calm, how do you manage that?
2: Well, I think it comes from practice first off, because, (laughs) you know, the first couple of years I was the executive director. I was just so uptight about things not working along the timeline that they should work as we're preparing for an event that's this massive. And I've slowly learned that you cannot set anything in stone. You have to learn to roll things off your shoulders. You need to learn to have a plan a, a plan B and a plan C so you can pivot and, and be prepared. So, I mean, This past year, because of COVID, we didn't have our race in February. We actually moved it to May. And so we had a plan A, we had a plan B, we had a plan C, and we just kept moving to which plan we needed to at the time. And that's what I had to teach our staff, too, is not to take things personally, not to get overstressed because... If it's going to rain, it's going to rain and we can't stop it. We just need to know what are we going to do to work around the rain? How are we going to manage things? So we just have to have a whole lot of different options available and say, okay, this is what we're going to pull out of the hat today. This is what we're going to do because we can't do what we plan to do.
1: What's been either a moment or a set of moments and experience that really puts a smile on your face? when you look at it all coming together and being like, yes, what's one of those yes moments for you?
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, There's so many yes moments. I would say uh, one in particular would be watching the kids come across the finish line and just having a blast running these kids. You know, I don't want kids to grow up thinking that running is a, a punishment that they have to run around the track because they didn't do something right. But just to be able to see them cross the finish line And have that uh, self-confidence and that feeling of achieving something and just that great big smile on their face. That's one. And then there are so many personal stories that we've had the honor to be a part of over so many years. I I can think of many. One of the ones that was um, most special to me was, I believe it was my second year as executive director and this runner registered for our uh, full marathon. And about a month prior to running the race, he got very ill and ended up in the hospital with a brain tumor and his parents called and his whole goal was to be able to run our marathon. And then he's in the hospital with this brain tumor, he's having surgery, the parents contact me and they said that the doctors have only given him 48 hours to live. And they want to know if I can give them a finisher's medal to hang at his bedside, to give him motivation to live. And so he was in San Antonio, Texas, which is about, you know, five hours from us. And so the dad drove in, we gave him a medal. He drove back. They hung it on his IV pole, put it in front of his view in ICU and he survived. And he came back the next year and ran our half marathon and that right there, was one of those memories that will never escape me that we've made such an impact in somebody's life that he was able to come back and run that race after not knowing if he was going to even be alive.
1: Absolutely. Wow. We've been talking about it. Calf children's activities for life and fitness, the nonprofit that you helped found talk about why you decided to found the nonprofit and and that side and go in that direction with it.
2: Well, the Cowtown even prior to me working for the Cowtown, always had a a program for schools where they would um, not charge the schools as much for the kids to come and run. And so kids would be able to come and run the race at a discounted price. And um, they always had that. It was, you know, through an adopt a school program or something where some corporations would pay for this certain school and those kids would come and run. But that's all we did is we just gave them a discounted entry fee, but nothing nothing more than that. And we had quite a few schools, you know, probably 40 or 50 schools. My son's school, one of them that, you know, was doing that way back when. But we didn't uh, go into the schools. We didn't teach these kids how to run. We just left it upon their their schools or their parents to show them the right way to run um, and they just showed up on race day. They ran the race. They went home. And we had no connection with them. One year, we had a coach come into the office and turned in her kids, uh, her kids' entries, her school team kids' entries, and she handed me her income tax return check. And I was like, why are you paying for these kids' entry fees with your return, your tax return? And she said, well, because they're all low income. They come from poor families, they're not getting any exercise. And I really, really want to give back to the community and get these kids out there. And if I didn't pay, they wouldn't come. So we gave her back her check. And I called one of our sponsors and explained the situation. And the sponsor covered the cost of those kids. And that was that light that went off that, you know, yeah, we're giving discounts, but are they a deep enough discount to be able to even make it so that these kids can participate? And so that's when we created CAF, which stands for Children's Activities for Life and Fitness. And we got, we started raising funds and instead of giving a little discount, now we're giving these kids grants. They still have to pay a little bit. They still pay $8 to run, but they're not paying $18 to run. So it's more doable um, because, and we we do charge them a little, but nothing of any magnitude. And it's because we want them to have a little skin in the game. We don't want them to just get a free entry and never train or not show up on race day because it's cold out or it's a little rainy. We want them to have some skin in the game so they actually show up. And so we started the program where we would give financial grants to these schools and they could apply for them depending on the financial situation of the school or just even the kids in the school, if they're a foster care child or something like that, to let us know and we'd cover that cost. And we did that for the first year. And then as we're sitting there at the finish line watching all these kids, because obviously it grew the amount of children that participated, these kids were not running in shoes that they should have been running in. I mean, if they can't afford an $18 or $25 entry fee, they certainly can't pay, afford a pair of $25 or $50 pairs of shoes. So that's where we added now, we don't just give financial grants, but we also provide every child with two pairs of socks. We provide them with running shoes and we actually fit the kids with shoes um, so that they're running in something that's not going to give them blisters or make their feet hurt so that they will smile when they cross the finish line and not be in pain. And then this past year, because of COVID, we had, we weren't able to do the races on, um, At our big event in May with the kids, because just how do you social distance, you know, 8,000 children. So instead, we went to every school and we put up pop-up runs. We put on a run for every school at their schools. And we partnered with the food bank, the Tarrant Area Food Bank. So now, and it's a great partnership, and we're going to continue it this year, even though we're going back to racing the way it was, they're getting their entry partially paid, they're getting their shoes, they're getting their socks and they're getting a box of food to take home for their family's pantry, which I think is just so important because they need good nutrition too. They need, they need the whole thing. It needs to be real well-rounded. So, um, we're just so proud of this program in the past 12 years, we've given over 43,000 pairs of shoes and hoping to hit 50,000 this year.
1: Well, that's actually where I was going to go next is what are some of the stats that you look at? What are some of those goals? And so obviously that's one of them right there. When you look at success, obviously with each student, that's a success in and of itself. But what are some of those success metrics and the things that you're really trying to hit? Yeah.
2: So, I mean, we actually track these kids from the time they start running with us till the time they're out of high school, because we obviously we're giving them their shoes prior to race day because we want them to train in them and break them in. But then we also want to make sure they show up on race day. So we're tracking them to make sure that these kids are showing up on race day. And if they're not showing up on race day, then we got to, there's a little more work to be done. Uh, We track that, but then we also, now it's so interesting. We've got so many kids that were in this program way back when, I mean, we've done 13 years now. So these kids have graduated from high school And they're coming back. Uh, We've had one runner that started before it was even the CAF program. She has set the course record on every race distance we offer. She's gone and ran in the Olympic trials for the marathon twice. And then we had another little boy who's no longer a little boy anymore. He's a man, Gabriel, who when he started doing our program back in elementary school, he told his school coach, I'm going to win the Cowtown marathon one day. And well, he turned 18. He came back that year after he graduated from high school and he sure enough did, he won the whole thing. He won the full marathon. Wow. So those are the things that so those are the success stories to see them just. And now we're seeing parents that were actually CAF recipients coming back with their kids that are now CAF recipients
1: You mentioned during the pandemic with COVID, going to the schools to work with the students and and doing things a little different. What's one thing, another lesson or something that you've learned through the pandemic that you think, wow, this was something that our hand was kind of forced to do a little different, but we're going to ultimately keep it as kind of a new opportunity moving forward. So what's something you've learned that you think is going to make you stronger coming out of the pandemic?
2: Well, just that, that we don't have to have these kids come to the race side. I mean... We have a lot of schools that didn't want to participate in the Cowtown in February because it is on Saturday morning, you know, 18,000 runners. And if you're a coach that doesn't have any help, you're not going to want to bring 25 kids to be responsible for. But to know that we can still offer those coaches a program and actually just go to their school and put on the pop-up run at their school for them. And still get those kids out there and exercising and get them, you know, aware that running can be fun and to get them shoes. So and we will continue that. So this year we will continue doing pop up runs at schools for those schools that don't feel comfortable coming to the Cowtown because of the size or because they don't have the financial means to be able to get the kids there. We'll come to them. So for sure that the other one is we offered like a lot of races, the opportunity to run our race virtually. So in our May race, we had about 6,500 runners run in person, but we had about 3,000 that chose to run it virtually. So they ran it in their own town, their own time, and they recreated their own route and ran it and finished it. Well, we're going to continue to offer that virtual option for those runners that – Maybe they get injured as they're training, but they still want to complete it. They still want to earn their medal. Now they can. They can just pivot and move over to running it virtually.
1: You were part of the uh, original committee that formed Fitworth, which was the Mayor of Fort Worth's Healthy Living Initiative. Talk about how this integrates in, because I'm now we're going to start expanding in when, when you, other cities are looking at this thing. Okay, how do I take the lessons that you're learning and apply them to my community? And when you look at city building, and when you look at tying in uh, physical fitness and health across the community, talk about kind of stepping in in that vein of saying, okay, now we've got our world, but now we've got to think larger and integrate this into a citywide plan. Share a little of that experience, and then we'll kind of start sharing some lessons learned.
2: Well, I I think Fit Worth is a really good example of a great way to promote fitness in your community because when we started it, the whole plan was not to recreate the wheel, not to put on a run, not to put on, you know, some sort of an event because we already have wonderful events in our city. So don't take away from the events that we have in the city, but let's start partnering with each other and build off of each other. That's how we got the great partnership with Tarrant Area Food Bank was because when the pandemic hit we weren't here we weren't in our office but the food bank needed space to be able to pack emergency food kits so we opened up our office and the air national guard came in here and boxed up emergency food boxes for 150,000 families in our community in our warehouse because they needed the space and so it's just partnering with all these other organizations to make all of us better and so as a result of opening up our space, we started talking and it's like, let's get these kids some good food at when we're delivering their shoes. So, you know, it was a great partnership and there's, so we've got the botanical gardens here in Fort Worth. They're beautiful gardens. Our kids run through them. They never, a lot of these kids never, ever get to have the opportunity to go to these gardens because they're from the, lower economic income level in town. They don't have the transportation to get to the gardens or they, their parents are working. So they have no way to ever see them. So now we're running these kids through the garden. So they get to see these beautiful gardens while they're running our event. So it's just another great way to partner with another nonprofit organization or our community to make both of us better. And and that's the key to everything is just to to, to help each other, because it's just going to, Make us all much, much more better and uh, successful.
1: Yeah, I think two things that stand out to me: one, the abundance mindset, like you're talking about, let's work together so we all win, and two, the intention, being intentional of reaching out and saying it's one thing to say, oh, we're just going to go through the gardens," and I say, "Let's be intentional and sit down and maybe we can map out like the best ways the kids can see the most as they're going through the garden." So, back to strategy of you know, let's really work together to collaborate, but do it in a strategic manner. And I think in many cases, and I see it a lot, nonprofits are, are working kind of in silos. And so they're, they're busy, you know, doing the programs, delivering the impact, but, but they're in the weeds. And so to be able to kind of lift their head up and look around and say, wait a second, let's work together. It takes intention and it takes collaboration. And it takes a group to convene, to, to say, let's all come together and have these conversations. This is Jeremy Park, CEO of City Current, personally inviting you to Growth Current. Growth Current is our e learning and online personal development platform with City Current. It's an opportunity to attend virtual events with global thought leaders, national guest speakers, and experts who can help you grow personally and professionally. It gives you access to success secrets, lessons learned, learning modules, and so much more. Subscriptions are only $8 a month and you can do bulk subscriptions for your team. Check out growthcurrent.co to learn more. Share a little bit of just, you know, some, some lessons that you've learned along the way when it comes to working with other nonprofits, collaborating, What encouragement, what advice would you give for others in other communities to start trying to map out and do something similar?
2: I think I learned a lot when I first started, because when we when I first started as executive director, I didn't know anybody in the community. And I was I was in my own little silo. I just needed to get this race to go off without a hitch and be done, you know, and it's you're so focused on your own thing that you forget that all this other stuff We're one pebble in that big, huge pond of like thousands, millions of, you know, pebbles. So you've got to make sure that I learned you've got to network. You've got to start communicating. I mean, I had a call yesterday with four other race directors that are my direct competition, but what better way for all of us to be good events than to communicate with each other and compare notes and what are we doing compared to what are they doing or, you know, it's going to make us all grow. I mean, instead of thinking of each other as competition, think of each other as somebody that's going to help make your event elevated just by talking to each other. That's the biggest lesson I think is to network and to communicate with your organization and think out of the box. I mean, whoever thought we would be giving kids food boxes to take home with their shoe boxes. We never even thought about that until the pandemic hit. It wasn't, you know, and I've always wanted to boost up the calf program even more rather than just entry fees and shoes, but to really help them. So what better way than to show by example, you know, here's some food that maybe your family is nutritional and they can have it in these boxes. These kids are getting some fun stuff for them, but they're also getting some pantry items for the family that will might open up that family's eyes to what else is there out there. So there's nothing more important than networking with your community and just thinking outside the box. We're partnering with the food bank now, we have a summer camp for kids. And now instead of it just being a running camp, it's gonna be a running nutrition camp. So half the day spent with us, half the day spent with the food bank, learning how to make a garden. So yeah, it's, it's so important. Just to talk to everybody and not think of them as your competition, but think of them as your allies.
1: From the event side, so for those who are in the event business, speak to this group. What's a lesson learned, a bit of advice, a recommendation for those who are in the event space to be more successful with their events?
2: Mm, Wow, that's a big question.
1: I know so much yes. of it is about delivering an experience. So that's a piece of it. And obviously we talked about you can control what you can control and that's about it. And, <laughs> you know, you, you plan all the different contingencies just in case. So that is a piece of it, the preparation, but what, what's, what's I a think that
2: for us, for our organization and what I always tell our team, our, we have a great group of volunteers and a great staff is communicate with your with your participants let them know that you're there let them know that you are a person you're not just a computer screen that they're sending a message to if they have a question find their answer don't send them to some site to find to give them you know but actually find their answer for them instead of if somebody calls and says you know what kind of um shoes should i wear for running your race then don't just say you know go to your local academy sports or whatever which is not a problem because they are a sponsor that's great but talk to them find out more about them and their running habits and how often are they running and really communicate with your participants i think that the more customer service you can give to your participants the more runners or participants in any event you're going to generate because they're going to remember that personal touch. They're going to remember that you took the time to actually have a conversation with them rather than just registering them and taking their money. But they're now a part of your family. They're now a part of the Cowtown family and you're going to take care of them. And I think that's really important for any event is to make sure that you've got that personal touch with, with your participants.
1: Yeah. Building a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about marketing. What's been a uh, success story, something creative? What's been something on the marketing side that has put a smile on your face in terms of just being successful and being a little bit innovative?
2: 2009, we started, we always gave a finisher medal to our runners and um, well, I say always, we didn't start until probably 2005, but in 2000, we always did just a finisher medal. But there was nothing really unique about the medal. It was just a finisher medal they got with their ribbon, they got put around their neck. In 2009, I was like, okay, how can we put on this race and capture runners to come back? I mean, yeah, they're going to come this year, but how are we going to get him? Next year, or the third year, or the fourth year, what's going to make them want to come back to Cowtown? So, in 2009, we created a medal series, and they had to collect for five years every medal to make their picture. And it was the star of Texas. So, they collected a point to that star for five years, and we captured an audience for five years. We had all these runners and they had to come back because if they didn't, they didn't have a whole star. And that was the most successful marketing we ever did was that five year star.
1: Yeah. That's brilliant. You almost, you, you create your own loyalty program.
2: (laughs) We did. And we were the first race in the, the United States that had a medal series. So it was pretty cool. Um, And, and since then we've had two more metal series. um, And then now we're into a whole different thing. So now we're into three dimensional medals. So, I mean, runners, it's, it's all about the swag. You've got to have good swag because with so much competition out there, they're going to pick who's got the best swag. So we had a three dimensional cowboy hat that was a bell. And then last year, it was a three-dimensional cowboy boot that's a belt. So we're still trying to figure out what this one's going to be for 2022. But
1: Do you remember where the original idea came from from that? I'm just thinking in terms of how do you foster creativity and these sort of ideas with your team? Do you remember kind of how that? I remember exactly.
2: Like- I, was, I was at another nonprofit event. I was at a Mayfest here in Fort Worth, and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of runners and I was just runners in the community. And this one man, he's, he's a big runner in our community. Everybody knows him. And I said, what can I do to get runners to come to Cowtown? He says, you need to make your medal interesting. And I'm like, okay. And that's where it all came from, it was in 2008 Mayfest. And this man said, make your medal something that people want to come back for. And yeah. that's where it came from. And it's, so again, it was networking and talking to people and listening to them. I mean, you know, not just having the conversation, but actually taking what they say to heart and really thinking about it.
1: For you as a speaker, I know you do a lot of public speaking and and sharing the story and lessons learned. What are some major topics, trends? What are some of the things that you really like to go out and encourage, especially for other cities, other communities What do you like to really present and talk about on your end, on the physical fitness side and just for you as, as a, as a speaker?
2: Well, when I'm speaking, I'm usually talking about kids. I mean, that's, I, I just think, I mean, obviously the kids are our future. And so we need to really invest in them. And so I speak a lot about how we can really make a connection to the youth in our communities and, do some things to help them be successful. So I speak about that a lot. Um, And then marketing and sponsorships, I've spoken about how how to gain sponsorships, how to really grow your sponsorships and um, merchandising, how to grow grow your brand.
1: Let's go on the sponsorship side and the fundraising side because I think we have a ton of nonprofit executive directors and fundraising professionals who tune into this podcast. What's a helpful tip on that side when it comes to nonprofits hosting events and looking for sponsorships and just fundraising in general? What's a, what's a favorite tip? I
2: always say don't make your sponsorships cookie cutter. I mean, you need to find out what that company is needing. I don't ever take just a package to a, to a company when I'm trying to get them to be a sponsor. I go to the company and say, why do you want to get your name out? How do you want to get your name out, and and what are you looking for in the the end of the day? What's going to be your ROI on this sponsorship dollars that you're um, giving us? And then I custom make the sponsorship to match what they need, so it's it's totally personal for their company and for what they need. And it's again, it's it's making it personal for them and helping them reach their goals. Because if they don't reach their goals, they're not going to come back that second year and give us money. So we need to make sure that when we're taking their money, we we have a responsibility with that money to make it really successful for them.
1: Yeah, I think the ROI is a really interesting point because If you want to keep them long-term, to your point, they are going to judge it. While it is the right thing to do and there is an altruistic side in terms of supporting the organization and especially on the nonprofit side, being able to make an impact, the reality is as a business, they view everything from an ROI lens. And so if you know that going in and you can deliver... You know, an expectation on their end, and set set that realistic expectation, but deliver on that. Then you have a long term relationship that you're building that will continue to grow because on both ends you see this ROI grow. Exactly. Give me example of just a a creative sponsorship or something that you were able to customize that was kind of a, a cool element that delivered an ROI.
2: I mean, we have some great sponsors. Our uh, UNT Health Science Center they've been a sponsor with us for all. 43 years going on 44 years of the cow town and they have medical students and they have nursing students and physical therapists. So they handle our medical. So not only are we getting some funding from them, but we're giving something back to them because we're giving service hours to all of these people. Um, That They have to have these service hours and they have to have this experience as they're going through their medical school program. So it's just been a really good partnership with them. And it's helped us. I mean, the the, the financial, the dollars coming in is a huge help. But just to know every year that they're going to bring 150 people to handle our medical is huge, huge. Um, So that's a big one. We've had some great sponsorships. I, I can't, I mean, we have an auto dealer here in town, and obviously they they're a great sponsor because they um give us cars to lead the runners with. They're giving us financial help, but they they sold cars at our expo. I mean, so that was a huge deal for us, and we didn't expect that. They sold 13 high-end vehicles at our expo. So Um, And I'm not quite sure what we did to make that happen. It's just, it worked, you know, it worked. We got their name out, they got our name out and we we cross-marketed.
1: Well, and I think that also brings to the point where when you bring good people together, great things can happen. And so you don't necessarily... You can't handle always the results and you don't even know sometimes why they happen. The reality is though, you put the effort in to provide a good experience, bring good people together, and then all of a sudden great things happen. So being a convener and being an opportunity, being an experience pays big dividends for everybody involved. But just yeah. to your point, it's it's the idea of, creating an ROI, and also too, like you mentioned, not just looking at the financial, but also the in-kind, the relational element of what each brings to the table that creates ROI as well. ROI doesn't always have to be a financial ROI. It can very much be a relational ROI or an awareness-raising ROI that can bring great value. So I think those are really important elements of of exactly what you're talking about.
2: Most definitely. like our, We've got a great sponsorship through um, Higginbotham and and & Associates because they have, it's the Healthy Hig Relay. And so it's it's a relay on our marathon route, but not only are they helping support the Cowtown town by being a sponsor of this relay, but they're sending it out to all of their insurance customers say, hey, this race is in town. So it's, it's again, it's a cross promotion, So, they're helping us by bringing us runners and by giving us funds, and we're helping them by getting their name out. So, it's just a really nice win win situation.
1: Absolutely. Talk about on your end, as we kind of shift over into a lightning round, just words of encouragement for other communities who say, hey, we need to do more in our community to promote physical fitness, to get kids involved in in healthy lifestyle choices what would a a bit of encouragement be for other cities and other communities?
2: Just to know that people are starving for this. And so there's definitely a need. And just to reach out to their local school district and say, hey, what can we do to help get your kids active? Or we've got this program we'd like to bring to your school to get your kids active. Just there's a need out there for most of these causes that people have. They just need to go and talk to the right people and communicate. And I, I would say, boy, if you if you have the opportunity to go and speak to your local Rotary clubs or your Kiwanis clubs or uh, do a lunch and learn at local corporations during their lunch hour and let them know about your organization and your nonprofit. I mean, the Cowtown truly, our CAF program is kind of like a hidden jewel because we didn't start it, but 12, 13 years ago. So a lot of people don't know about it. And so we're still educating people. And so you, you know everything about your nonprofit, but think about all the people that don't have a clue about it and just get out there and start talking to people and, and promoting yourself, because there's a lot of people that don't even know about your organization. There's a lot of people that don't know about our CAF program. And so we're constantly trying to go out there and tell tell our story.
1: Be an advocate, be an ambassador, and don't forget to, ra- to raise your hand and say, hey, I want to help. So that's uh, that's where it all starts. Let's switch over and do a lightning round. So just short questions, short answers. Give me something you like to do to relax besides running.
2: Besides running, <laughs> yoga. I like yoga and I like to float in my pool. Everybody knows if it's a sunny day, I will be in my pool at one point or another.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So what sort of food do you like? Especially in Texas, you have a wide variety. So uh, what what sort of food do you like?
2: Well, I am vegetarian. So anything that's a salad or a vegetable, I mean, prior to being a vegetarian, I I will say the one time I, I break that rule is the day I... The night of Cowtown, the last night of Cowtown, it ends on, I get home like on a Sunday at like 7 or 8 p.m. My husband orders from the local restaurant, chicken fried steak, cream gravy, Texas toast, mashed potatoes, green beans. Every year, I have to have my comfort food a chicken fried steak after the race.
1: That's awesome. What, what uh, When someone comes to visit Fort Worth, Texas, who's from out of town, what are some of the, the go to spots that you like to take them to?
2: If they've never been here, we'll take them down to the stockyards. The cattle get herded in and out of the stockyards twice a day, 1130 and four. So we'll take them so they can watch the herd come and go. I would take them to the botanical gardens, Japanese gardens, the modern museum. I mean, the science and history museum. Uh, Sundance Square, Clear Fork. There's so many near Southside. We've got so many great areas in our town. Um, It's funny when we have race directors fly in for the cow town, I have, we take them on tours of different areas. So we'll take them to Billy Bob's and learn a little bit about how to line dance, uh, how to ride the bunking Bronco. So we'll take them to Billy Bob's in the stockyards and they're always leaving after buying some boots over at Justin boots, you know,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I love it. So for those who don't know, I grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So it's like Weatherford and and Fort Worth. I I was in Fort Worth every single day of my life growing up. So, uh, these are all, these are all places that are, you got to check these boxes to be truly uh, from Fort Worth. So, um, outside of Fort Worth, where do you like to go to go on vacation?
2: Montana, Montana, um, is my most favorite place to go on vacation Um, or the beach. Do love the beach, but um, it's funny. Most of my vacations involve a marathon or a half marathon. I have to schedule them around a race that's happening
1: somewhere. So for those who have never been to Montana, what's one or two things that we have to do.
2: You have to go to Moose's Saloon in Kalispell, Montana, and order a pizza and carve your name into a bench. And then uh, probably go to Flathead Lake, and get on a boat and take a ride around on the lake or go up to big mountain ski resort and even in the summer ride the lift chair all the way
1: to the top and have lunch. See, I learned so much on these. What's <laughs> one of the craziest things you've ever done? So what what's something that stands out as you're thinking about it? Obviously, off the top of your head that uh, you thought going in, wow, am I crazy to do this, but you ended up enjoying it? So what, what's something crazy you've done?
2: I think my first marathon, I was like, what am I doing training? I mean, what a am- Beating to train for all these months. And yeah. And then I came, I was laughing and joking and smiling all the way to the finish line, which I didn't expect. I expected to hit the wall and be miserable. And I had a blast. So
1: yeah. And then what's a quote? You don't have to obviously get it exactly right, but what's a quote or a saying that inspires you?
2: That's a tough one. My father always told me to always do your best. Always do your best. Reach for the stars. Don't settle.
1: You are still creating your legacy every single day with every move you make, but uh, many, many years from now, what do you hope your legacy is? Not just in terms of Fort Worth and the Cowtown Marathon uh, and calf as well, but just in general with the impact you're able to make on so many lives.
2: Mm, they just remember me as somebody that was kind and helpful that helps them impacted their life in some way. Just doesn't have to be running, but just to remember me as somebody that was there for them and supported them and helped them.
1: The last question is the easy one. Where do we go to learn more? So talk about website, social media. Where do we go to follow all the efforts with CAF and the Cowtown Marathon?
2: Yeah, CowtownMarathon.org. Or you can go to Facebook and look up the Cowtown Instagrams, the Cowtown Twitters, the Cowtown um, We'd love to have runners come run with us. But if you don't want to, if you're not a runner, we love to have volunteers or if you're neither, be a supporter, help us pay for some shoes for these kids, because that is the best thing in the world. When you see a kid who's never had a new pair of shoes, have their first brand new pair of shoes on their feet.
1: Well, Heidi, you are a change maker. Thank you so much for all you do and for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Change Makers podcast, produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. To learn more about our guests and share your stories of others leading by example, visit us online at citycurrent.com or follow us on social media using @citycurrent. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen. Now, think big, start small, and act now. Be a change maker.